Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. Welcome to Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the races and monsters found in Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folklore and mythological counterparts. Today we will be looking at the halfling. And honestly, I thought this would have been really simple, but it ended up being a lot harder than I thought it would be. Uh, primarily because every creature I remember hearing as being a short humanoid is closer to the goblin, which we have an episode we're going to do on. The dwarf, which we will do an episode on. So the gnome, the sprite, the elves, it's just like, okay, I'm finding a lot more related to others. I need to narrow this down a little bit. I don't know about how yours went. Um, I mean, it was kind of juicy, but uh, you know, uh, uh kind of you know, halflings, you know, the the, the half-sized heroes and their antics, you know, being the topic today. It's I'm gonna kind of just go over, uh, you know, the the last edition or two, um, until now, you know, our view of them as well as overall play playability, you know, um. It has changed quite a bit. Uh, yeah, uh, halflings might be, you know, they have kind of a shady past, uh, and uh, they look to be embracing maybe, maybe embracing a whole new future. Uh, you know, say, say what you will about these uh, like pint-sized pickpockets, but you know, uh, I they're definitely uh, um, two sides of of a coin here. We're gonna have to t talk it out. All right, well, with all that in place, how about we start with uh, how Dungeons & Dragons has treated our little friends. Okay, so <clears throat> in the past, um, halflings have been typically considered weak. You know, not as characters, nor mentally, but physically weak. Their natural, nimble hands and dexterity more than compensate, some say, for their lack of physicality. Um, which, on some levels, makes sense. Of, of course, a smaller being, like 3 feet in height and 50-ish pounds, is not going to be as strong physically as a, an average human, who is, you know, potentially double their height and three times or more their weight, you know. Um, it's like fighting an eight-year-old. <laughs> yeah. So this being the lens that the uh, halfling is kind of viewed through in the past, meant back then you had to play a different kind of character. You know, um, things like toe-to-toe -to -toe combat, kicking in doors, uh, moving or, or lifting heavy objects in general, uh, you know, among other things, are to be avoided. You know, and <clears throat> all this is, of course, to be attributed to the... Now, the typical... Uh, classic build you know for the halfling uh, comes along with a minus two ability score modifier to the strength ability score um and that's pretty standard throughout most editions you know um and it's kind of unfortunate you know always being you know being hampered in that way you know um one thing i'd like to point out uh particularly to anyway is in third edition specifically uh, is the kind of gritty, shady ways that they would uh, occasionally portray halflings, you know, is, is a lot different than the way they are portrayed in the more modern gaming today. Um, a quick quote from the th uh, 3.5 PHB, uh, page 19. Halflings prefer 
to, uh, trouble to boredom. They are notoriously curious, relying on their ability to survive or escape danger. They demonstrate a daring that many larger people can't match. Um, another quick descriptive quote uh, from the same book. Uh, depending on the clan, halflings might be reliable, hardworking citizens, or they might just be thieves waiting for the opportunity to make a big score and disappear into the dead of night. Uh, you know, regardless, halflings are cunning, resourceful survivors. Uh, so it's, it's these kind of gritty uh, descriptors of the halfling in, in previous editions that lead to a somewhat, you know, shadier potential criminal element kind of uh, being stereotyped upon them. Uh, and what would you expect, you know, with racial bonuses and like, you know, other editions, 3.5 included, you know. Uh, to not only dexterity, but also things, you know, like jumping, climbing, hiding, moving silently. Um, you know, they've got a level of, of fear resistance and bonuses to, you know, perception and listening and, and, you know, and more. So halflings do, in fact, you know, especially in the older editions, make excellent rogues. So um, uh, are you picking up what I'm putting down following along? Anything you'd like to add? No, nah, it just makes sense. You know, you get a Goliath, you're not going to expect the small wiry sneak into your house and steal something if anything he would be the have a conversation with you in a back alley type of person whereas somebody small could climb through duck spaces and cracks in a window would definitely be more the type you see uh being the wiry thief right <clears throat> so so let's fast forward uh, to the to the more modern era of gaming and take a look at the halfling from fifth edition's more progressive point of view. <laughs> uh, in my opinion, it's a lot less gritty. The type of outlook on the halfling, kind of the descriptors I was using before, are you know out the window. Um, it's almost as if they rubbed elbows with the more bougie hobbits of the Shire and you know the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Um, while always affable and positive, it seems like being small and practical alongside alongside <clears throat> excuse me, kind and curious has manifested itself into like the more modern identity of the halfling. Much more wholesome, uh, a much much less you know criminalish type of stereotype. Um, these more modern halflings still retain you know decent dexterity modifiers as well as you know a few inherent racial abilities depending on your sub race. You know, could be getting certain resistances or bonuses to stealth. You know. Um, uh, as well as giving, you know, a light nod to the, to the race being particularly brave as well as nimble. Um, the newest thing about halflings in 5e, at least in my opinion, uh, that they seem to be associated with is, uh, the way they portray luck, you know, first of all, personally, I think if you make great use of the halflings lucky feet, uh, which, you know, allows you to reroll anytime you roll a one on the D20, um, unless you're constantly and consistently rerolling like successes, you're arguably <laughs> lucky at best because you have to, you know, roll a lot of ones in the first place to make good use of it. 
But, uh, you know, there's other um, feats that are associated with luck and the halfling specifically, you know, branching out to a few others or uh, a halfling specific feats of luck. You know, bountiful luck is one, you know, second chance is another. Uh, both typically, you know, only found amongst halflings and uh, both offer various, like, re-roll of a d20 type of situations. Uh, you know, so it's weird how, uh, you know, mechanically that it's kind of working for the halfling as far as luck but it, it would make sense that you know like an overwhelming amount of positivity would manifest itself into arguably good luck uh so it's like uh in a way that you know they are just so um humble and good and and, and uh naive i guess to the real world uh, uh that the universe itself does not want to see them critically fail because they are such you know wholesome little creatures so you know it's just kind of a different way to portray uh, uh goodness and luck you know and being kind of like a good domain i think it, it was just kind of a a cool step really um so uh though the the halfling seems to have replaced a lot of grit with more positive qualities over the years, uh, uh, they still make you know far uh, for quite quite capable rogues amongst other things. Um, apparently, seeking the comforts of home is the new norm, and uh, you know the need to adventure more as a career has uh, you know little to no influence on the on the modern halfling. You know, instead, the way halflings seem to be prompted into adventure is is almost as a a direct result of this newfound wholesomeness uh, seeing many deeds as either an opportunity or necessity doing great deeds while defending communities or, or just in support of their friends you know uh, regardless of, of what prompts them into action a, a skilled halfling makes for a, an irreplaceable party member uh, you you follow along there uh, anything you'd like to add well, I would just like to make sure we point out that, you know, when Halfling was first introduced, it wasn't even called a Halfling. You know, they used the name Hobbit up until Tolkien's estate was getting ready to sue him. So I think what you're seeing is a lot more of, uh, especially with the popularity of the Lord of the Rings uh, movies. Uh, you know, a lot of people watch the movies, whereas they didn't read the books and really saw that version being played up and as the halfling advanced, I think it really uh, played into that characteristic than it did, uh, I guess, really being its own race or a, a separate entity. It was like, oh yeah, we used to be called hobbits before we had to change it to halfling, but that doesn't mean they can't be hobbits. Right, right. Um, so, um, well, moving along um, to something that's kind of uh, stood out to me, uh, one of the, one of the more cooler, more interesting aspects of the halfling in Five E, uh, uh, for me, isn't really anything that's like super noticeable at first. It's that Five uh, E, in doing away with uh, negative ability modifiers, uh, provides the halfling with a few opportunities that weren't really there before. Uh, Fighter class halflings is an avenue that's kind of rarely traveled in older editions. Uh, 
thought that these people could not be strong or nor scrappy or capable of you know directly you know, physically engaging others is kind of absurd really uh, particularly because you know bravery seems to be like a common trait amongst them um <clears throat> halfling knights fighters and barbarians you know have got to exist um also considering they live in a world where they regularly encounter you know larger folk uh, these types of characters may have you know, specific tactics they employ, uh, uh, making them more than effective against larger folk, you know, uh, more often than not. You know. The opportunity to take that kind of path less traveled uh, mechanically is there, which perks the interest, I think, of you know, a lot of the creative and, and new aspect-seeking players. You know. Um, also, I think it opens up, you know, a new avenue or two for some RP. Uh, it would be all too easy to take, you know, an order of halfling knights or a tribe of halfling barbarians and, and run with it creatively, you know. Um, uh, as a human could perform a great feat of strength, so could a halfling, you know, per perhaps more impressive due to their stature. Uh, plus, I like the I like the thought of uh, like a tiny Hercules or or like a tiny Hulk, particularly when engaging like you know common folk, you know, uh, who are you know more likely to be stunned by their their tiny feats of strength, you know. But but I could see a lot of uh, fun in the combat and RP scenarios playing out with some very like you know bam bam from the Flintstones energy here you know what I mean so that being said uh, I think the future for halflings is, is probably more bright and shiny than than gritty and shady like in the past you know the pathway forward is is literally infinite now uh, that they've got away of the negative ability modifiers and you know uh, uh, more strong and open and you know maybe maybe a little lucky uh, you got any any two cents on that yeah, I was actually thinking when you mentioned uh, like halfling fighters, you know, we have that uh, mini story that we do where it's all a family of lightfoot halflings. And in that one, my character is a ranger. However, he just got a goat that he's going to ride like a steed. So if he had been a fighter, he could have been a charger. <laughs> And instead of a horse, you know, he's on a little goat or a little sheep just charging into battle, taking out horses at their legs where their riders can't defend them. I mean, if you saw a hundred goats coming at you with men on, on their backs, how would you prepare for that? It, it would just hit you in the mind. Yeah, and that you know that's one of the cool avenues that I feel like you know it doesn't get explored a lot is you know now a man a mounted combatant as you know, a, a halfling fighter because it's only been recently that the halfling fighter class hasn't been crippled you know <laughs> uh, handicapped if you will but uh, you know um, so I mean that pretty much wraps her up for me uh, so whether whether a pickpocket pickpocket street urchin or a, a noble knight you know <clears throat> the the halfling has, has come a long way through the additions, uh, fighting off a few stereotypes along the way, you know, the, the versatile ways of the halfling race, uh, then when, what they possess really does kind of open up some fun game mechanics and roleplay to the player. Uh, I love that new avenues kind of open up for the halflings when they aren't forced into like a negative, you know, strength modifier situation upon, you know, character generation. 
Um, and hopefully that leads to even more interesting, you know, discussions, play, and, and content as well. You know, uh, tiny, brave, noble, noble and, and nimble, you know. The halfling is easily counted amongst, you know, the more popular playable races, and for good reason. So, uh, with that, I will just kind of turn it over to you. What did, what did, what did you uh, uh, dig up on the halfling this week? Um, as I said, halflings ended up being harder for me than I originally thought they would be. Uh, took a bit of a bunch of different websites and, you know, ruling this one out, ruling that one out. And the primary reason it was so hard is because, as I mentioned earlier, they were called hobbits, which didn't really enter the general lexicon until J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his book. Uh, and so, you know... I had heard so many stories of small humanoid creatures, and I was like, all right, this should be fairly simple. But as I kept researching, it's like, no, I mean, The Hobbit was geared directly to his stories. There really wasn't anything prior to him. So I figured, you know, we'll begin with The Hobbit, as found in the works of Tolkien, then maybe look at some outside examples that might not be directly called hobbits or halflings, but can be geared to being the same thing. And so the idea of the Hobbit appears primarily uh, able to be traced back to an old children's story called The Marvelous Land of Snurgs, where Snurgs were short, thick, and helpful people. They enjoyed eating with their neighbors and communal meals and have characters with names such as Gorbo, which sounds quite a bit like Bilbo. And much like Bilbo and the Hobbit, the Snurgs then have to set out on a dangerous journey. In fact, Tolkien has admitted that he loved reading this book to his children. And so it's easy to see how he could have lifted elements from it when crafting the race upon which his stories are centered around. Which just shows, you know, even some of our favorite authors were willing to use other works to help them. So don't be afraid of that, DMs. Um, there is also speculation that Tolkien based Hobbits off of Rapids, but he consistently denied this. So I figured we'd leave that as just speculation. Uh, now, within the world that Tolkien crafted, there are three types of Hobbits. First, there are the Harfoots, which have the largest number. And they lived in holes in hilly areas and have a closer relationship to dwarves than the other hobbits do. And it's actually based on this last fact that I'd argue that the stout halfling would fit the mold of a Harfoot hobbit, especially when you take a look at the fact that the stout halfling has the same poison resistance and advantage to poison saving throws that the race of dwarves do. So you can always take a stout halfling kind of grew up nearby dwarves and used that as a jumping point. Uh, next are the Fallowhides, who it makes up the smallest population. Uh, they are taller and slimmer to other hobbits and prefer to live in the woodlands, where they became huntsmen. Fallowhides had a close relationship with elves, and as such, I could see them being the lightfoot halflings, as they tend to be more quiet and can hide with ease much as elves are able to do. You know, we have a character who 
smallest bit of shadow and he's gone. Well, Lightfoot halflings, they just got to find somebody and can hide in their shadow and be gone. Uh, and then lastly, there are the stores, which in terms of the numbers, they fit right in the middle. Uh, they live next to rivers and knew how to swim. And since they live next to muck, they would actually wear boots when going out, whereas all other hobbits tended to run around barefoot. They were also less shy of men, which may have helped them to become the more adventurous of the hobbit types. So we're definitely seeing that we could take uh, halflings and put them in almost any location and feel free to... Next, place them next to another race and use some of those uh, traits to build your character. Uh, Frodo is taken to be more of a phallohide with bits of Harfoot in him, whereas Samwise would be Harfoot. So that's why you get more a slightly adventurous Frodo, whereas Sam is the no, let's stay home and be comfortable. No adventures. Uh, although Samwise ended up being the true hero of that whole series, let's be honest. Uh, while Tolkien may have coined the name Hobbit for an official race of humanoid creatures, he may have taken it from folklore, though probably subconsciously. There was a book published in 1985 by the Folklore Society called Denham Tracks, in which they compiled a set of Denham publications that were released between 1846 and 1859. Now, in this text, there's a long list of sprites and other creatures, including bogies, redmen, grants, hobbits, hobgoblins, dunnies, and more. So, with that, hobbits may even be a type of fey creature, as hobgoblins and sprites are. So the word Hobbit was around prior to the writings of Tolkien, but it may not have been popular. And as he tried to come up with the word, his brain may have pulled this one. If he had read that book, but just forgot, you know, it's not like there was an internet for him to pull up and Google. Has this word been taken? Uh, so it's not to say he stole it, as there are multiple times where any of us had a great idea for a story or a character. And we tell someone, and they go, oh, yeah, that sounds a lot like this movie or, you know, this guy. And you're like, oh, yeah, huh. Funny how that happens. Uh, as I said, I was going to try and put pygmies uh, as a possible connection. as They do have a few stories as well as uh, real-life examples found primarily around... Uh, like the African Congo. However, when you look at their, especially Greek counterparts, they tend to be grouped more with dwarves. So I figured it would be better to save it for that episode. So while halflings seem to be primarily held to Tolkien's hobbits, there is evidence that there were humanoids that would have fit in with them in real life. In 2003, remains were found in a cave on the island of Flores in Indonesia of hominids standing less than four feet in height. They had stone tools that date from 50,000 to 190,000 years ago. 
this race of early humans came to be called Homo floresiensis, or Flores Man, it was nicknamed Hobbit after the works of Tolkien. There have been the fossils of approximately 15 specimens found in this region. It is thought that they had died out prior to modern humans moving into that area. So while they are not our direct ancestors, it stands to reason that they are distant cousins that broke off from one of the branches and evolved in a different manner. Uh, and the thing is, this finding also lends weight to the Orang Pendek. Now, Orang Pendek means short person in Indonesian, and it's given to a cryptid that has been purported to have been seen by many over the past 100 years, primarily around Sumatra. Based on some cryptozoologists, the Orang Pendek is a small version of what would be called Sasquatch in the U.S., the major difference being that they are between 3 to 5 feet rather than 8 to 12. And there are some, even in the skeptic realm, as I heard one uh, person on the show Monster Talk actually say, there's a possibility these are real. Uh, meanwhile, Sasquatch, Bigfoot, Skunk Ape, they give zero credence, just... The evidence being offered up is not good enough. Plus, standing 8 to 12 feet tall, yes, there's a lot of unseen areas. That's still pretty hard to hide. Meanwhile, the Orang Pendek being only 3 to 5 feet in a vast, luscious jungle, that's really easy to move around. Uh, but... They don't believe it's a branch of the genus Homo or related to us like that. Instead, they think it could be a type of orangutan that's just smaller as well, or possibly Gibbon or one of the other primates found in the region. And so with all that, let's figure out ways using almost any of this information that you could play a hobbit perhaps as an npc or as your own pc i think one strong way is to take those three races of uh hobbits found and use that as a guide you know if you're making a stout halfling you can okay was he adopted by dwarves were they friendly with dwarves? You know, a lot of different ways you could take some of that, or any hobby you come up with, find another race and place them next to that. I mean, what if you have hobbits that grew up next to Dragonborn, and when they get angry at people, they spit on them? I mean, it's not fire or frost breath, but it's enough to get a reaction. <laughs> it's enough to start a fight for sure. <laughs> I do like the thought of like a. You know, uh, things from, like, say, the Feywild, like you were talking about, uh, um, you know, maybe like, you know, like a, a brownie or a pixie or something, you know, um, some kind of small humanoid of the Feywild. I feel like, you know, they are like a wide variety of, of you know, uh, sub variants. And when you think about it, it's kind of like, you know, maybe in, the, you know, our realm or the, the material plane, rather, uh, 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 it would be 
like a domesticated version of that like maybe that's like their ancestry where they came from you know like some you know like elvin and sylvan is just a a, a a twinge far away you know just just so close but not quite the same thing you know because of their ancestry or you know or, or maybe their descendants or something yeah you know, i don't know there's quite quite a bit to uh grab at there i i i like the uh well uh what you did put together uh for a difficult subject <laughs> all right and i could definitely see that say you know ten thousand years ago some hobbits crossed from the fey realm into the material plane and because they were no longer connected to the fey realm that's why they lost a lot of those fey abilities and you can then create a whole story arc of a character trying to get back to the Feywild to reestablish that. And then as a feat, pick up like Fey Touched or something. Or even a warlock where the patron is an arch Fey. And that's how they get a little bit of power back. Yeah, there's definitely some play in that. Yeah, definitely, then, definitely, definitely some, you know, it's def it's what I like to call thought, 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 fodder. Holy crap, words are hard. <laughs> you know, uh, thought fodder is, you know, uh, something to, you know, dwell on kind of, uh, and then you know, run narratively with, you know, and try it out as a character or as a DM, you know. And then, you know, conversely, now that we have uh, the current real life hobbits, you can make it to where the hobbits were are related to men. So somehow work that into a connection, and that could be why the stores just were the ones who didn't move far enough away when that branch broke. They're the ones who stayed close by, like, no, don't forget about me. Yeah, and it does seem kind of like, you know, I, I mean, they, they, while a little... Uh, I mean, the dis the descriptors used for the hobbits don't quite describe them as quite like adaptable as humans, but I like to he think of them as you know uh, a tiny human light. You know, it's just like uh, they they share similar qualities in like uh, the realm where not all of their features are boxed in. You know, it's like it's not uncommon to have you know uh, a, a halfling. Uh, 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 be you know maybe there maybe it's portly maybe he's really ropey maybe you know somewhere in between you know maybe gruff kind of a uh, facial hair maybe uh clean shaven you know very wide variety of descriptors for the halfling similar to the humans so that you know it gives you a uh i don't know a good uh way to help kind of immerse immerse the uh, character or an npc you know oh no doubt i mean yeah, they don't have all the same modifiers, and so it would. That's why it would definitely be like that branch off. So similar but different. But I mean, I think the hardest part is coming up with ways that the halfling is different from the gnome. And so this is that way. The gnomes are closer to the fey. Halflings closer to humans. Right, and that might. That might be a topic for another time. So, um, in, in closing, uh, oh, do you have anything you'd like to? Uh, anything else you'd like to throw out there? Uh, not in terms of fact, but definitely have fun with a halfling. I mean, I do love the thought of a halfling barbarian. When you mentioned Bam Bam, 
you know, that visual, even though raised in the 80s and 90s, I still know those characters and watching him slam around a person. It's like, yeah, that's hilarious. Especially if you give him a short temper with a Napoleon complex. Like, what's up, <laughs> little guy? I'll show you little and just start wailing on him. Exactly. Yeah. So many ways to play it. So many, you know, so many scenarios can stem from just that one, you know. So, um, uh, well, uh, kind of in closing, uh, anybody listening in, uh, if you haven't heard enough of me and Chris uh, banter back, go ahead and check us out on uh, Tater Brain Pod's Instagram. Uh, and we also have a YouTube channel if you guys care to watch my awkward ass as I record uh, said podcast with Chris. Uh, anything you want to uh, throw out there, Chris? Maybe the email or something? Yes. Uh, if you have any questions, information, or one that you're really excited about that you would like to see us push forward before any others, uh, you can email us at monstersandmythos at gmail.com and is spelt out. And otherwise, yeah, uh, we will try to have an episode every other Thursday for your listening pleasure.